Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, December 8th, 2022. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Reminding you, I don't need to remind you that it is holiday season, but I am reminding you that uh, I'm going to be a pest all month and ask you to consider adding commentary to your holiday giving and charity list. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. That means that we rely on the uh, charity of our readers and our listeners to continue to provide you with the podcast, the magazine, the website that you all seem to enjoy. And we cannot do it without you and with your help. This is the most important time of the year for us in that regard. Please go to commentary.org slash donate to make us uh to 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 make us one of the uh, pe- one of the organizations on your list that is i we believe worthy of your attention uh at this time of year tax deductible contribution would be very greatly appreciated with me as always executive editor Abe Greenwald hi Abe hi John associate editor and author of the rise of the new puritans noah rothman hi noah hi john christine rosen is out today joining us is our washington commentary columnist american enterprise institute fellow like christine but not christine and author of the right matthew Continetti. hi matt hi john uh noah please uh, get us up to speed on the Brittany griner matter Brittany Griner, a WNBA star who was arrested um, earlier this year at uh, Shermetovo Airport in Moscow for possession of marijuana, has been released by uh, by Russian authorities. The White House announced this this morning that they they um, worked out a one for one prisoner swap, which gets um, Griner, who was a hostage, a political hostage, who was sentenced to an exorbitant, a really ridiculous. Um, sentence in a pe- Russian penal colony. It was purely an effort to exact concessions from the United States. Uh, and I'm gl- glad she's released. The concession that was made is a significant one. It's been floated for a long time, so it comes as no surprise. But we released uh, Victor Bout, who was the inspiration for the 2005 Nicolas Cage film, Lord of War. He made his name selling Soviet-era weapons to rebel groups in Afghanistan, Angola, Lebanon, Somalia, Yemen. Um, he was convicted of attempting in convicted in a U.S. court. Actually, he was convicted in Thailand, but it was uh, it was a complaint in a Manhattan court that convicted him. He was convicted of trying to uh, acquire anti-aircraft missiles, um, which he was which he was going to sell to terrorists who were going to target Americans. Uh, he's probably the world's most notorious arms dealer, and he has been um, traded back to to Russia, where he will be freed uh, in exchange for Brittany Griner. Now. The reaction in the United States is interesting, and it's summed up, I think, by a tweet by Randy Weingarten, who says the following. What a relief. Extraordinary news. A basketball star, but also a gay black woman, is released. And yes, of course, we want other prisoners like Paul Whelan released. Paul Whelan is a corporate consultant, a former United States Marine who has been in Russian custody since 2018. Now, when they were talking about this Griner Bout deal, there was also referenced that they were working on another another um, trade for Whalen, and they would trade a guy named Vadim Karas uh, Karasikov. Sorry, first time I've ever pronounced his name. He was a former FSB agent who was uh, convicted of assassinating a Chechen fighter in Berlin in 2019. So we were going to trade an arms dealer and a hitman for a basketball player and a corporate consultant. We didn't get the other part of that deal, but we did get the first part of the deal. It is not an equivalent trade, and it demonstrates that hostage-taking works. And we're going to see more hostage-taking as a result. It's a good day. We should celebrate the release of Brittany Griner. But the concessions that we've had to make in this process will make Americans less safe. This is just a terrible catch-22, and it always has been. Hostage-taking is one of the oldest forms of criminal action, you know, pretty much from the dawn of civilization, the Torah itself obliges 
the 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 Israelites, the Hebrews, to ransom their hostages. It is a it is a it is a Jewish commandment requirement that you do not leave your people in. That just indicates, since we're talking about you know three thousand years ago, that this was a matter on the minds of people. Um, you know, before the you know before anything um and so here we are in the third millennium uh dealing with this and yeah there's only reason to believe that if the if the world grows more lawless the kind of classic lawlessness that is a feature of of all lawless societies uh will will um expand in the years and decades to come and the reason why I bring up the one garden tweet is because I think it's it's revealing. She says the quiet part out loud. Why did Brittany Griner become go to the head of the line here? And there's a line uh, because of her identity. Her identity made her a celebrity cause in the United States and celebrity causes get attention, caught the attention of the White House. And we left a Marine behind in favor of her because of her identity. It's, it's her identity. But it, I mean, I think it's also her celebrity made her a celebrity in the united states you know i mean she is a uh wnba star um and uh name another wnba star uh uh tarazi oh uh, you actually could do it yeah well th- you know no it is not it's it's not completely marginal activity hope, so- hope solo um so, i knew hey, I, Brittany we can't confirm was. either of these <laughs> I, I, I know you're gonna have to fact check the uh, down in the in the editorial department um no, she was famous. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, her her identity mattered as well. But I think I think the Russians knew exactly who they were arresting. Oh yeah, and um, her sexuality might not have been, and they might not have been aware of that uh, when they. But they certainly knew that she was a prominent athlete in the United States. Um, and oh, I think Russia tar- targeted her for her identity as well. Yeah, well, certainly. I, I mean. By the way, there's another aspect to this, which, of course, goes against our modern day identitarian politics, which is that I think everybody thinking about a woman in the gulag. That's that's a very horrifying. It's a much more horrifying thought than a man in the gulag. I'm saying, you know, that's just maybe it's atavistic. Maybe it's anachronistic. You know, she's an athlete, so she can probably defend herself. But. You just think about, oh, great. Uh, you say a man is going to be in a Russian prison for 10 years. That's that's horrible beyond belief. A woman is going to be in a Russian prison for 10 years, being held there essentially as an enemy prisoner. And you can't even imagine what horrors could be practiced upon her or what the, what the mind imagines yeah, will, be, terrible. Will, will be visited upon her. So, so she both gets the most modern... Uh, cutting to the head of the line and mm. the and the most um you know again not just uh we're not just talking about the you know ancient jews like the the iliad is a story of a kidnapping of a woman and how you know an entire civilization goes to war with another civilization over the over the fate of a single woman who is who is taken so again you can things- back to huh it's one of the things we always um, rhetorically we we approach one way and then in actuality we approach another. Right? It's a, we always say we you don't negotiate with terrorists, not that it's just terrorists exactly, but with terroristic tactics and things like uh, the taking of hostages. And then in reality, the negotiations are furious and ongoing and constant. Yeah, I think you can say both that you know it's great that she's home, and I mean she endured just awful. Uh, set of conditions but we did give up a lot uh to get her home and victor bout i mean um could easily go back to work uh spreading <laughs> violence and terror around the world in the service of russian strategic interests um and we just have to reconcile those two things i do think that the media of course will treat this uh as yet another biden victory you know uh president biden has been having just a string of good news um as, as certainly since the midterm election um, and this just will feed into, I think, uh, the the media narrative of um, Biden gaining strength ahead of the 2024 election. Right. I mean, you know, getting to the question of what governments do when, you know, terrorists make 
demands and hold people hostage and all of that. It it's just an intractable problem because you know uh, who is the most who what what country would you say on the planet Earth is the most stalwart in fighting terrorism? You would probably say Israel. Israel not routinely, but Israel has exchanged a thousand Palestinian prisoners for a single corpse. I mean, they, again, in part because of this uh, commandment to r- ransom hostages and get your get your people back, um, Israel's been put, it, put into very difficult positions throughout its history by this by this problem, which is that it will not deal with terrorists except that it will. I mean, and 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 we will too, and everybody does. I mean, in the seventies, the question is whether whether the you know the individual, the satisfaction of an individual rescue, then leads to the kidnapping and torture of a hundred others. That's you know that was Europe in the nineteen seventies. Europe routinely gave in to terrorist demands, uh, internal terrorist demands from the Badr-Meinhof gang, Palestinian demands, Palestinians hijacked planes, they kidnapped people, they did all this, and and the problem only got worse and worse and worse. So um, that's the meaning of an intractable problem, which is that you can't say Brittany Griner should not, we shouldn't make every step possible to ensure her release. And on the other hand, you know, you have to acknowledge the danger. Uh, there's one other point to be made, which is she's an idiot. Don't go around the planet carrying carrying illegal drug. Maybe you think it's fine to smoke pot. How many times in the last 40 years have people, you know, Paul McCartney o- almost went to jail for a year in Japan for having a little bit of marijuana in his suitcase. Like, I'm sorry, but the other thing is once she's home and we're all happy that she's home, Everybody on this planet better not go to these totalitarian countries and break their laws. Like, you know, I mean, she paid for it. She's paid for it. And so that's fine. But, you know, she's no hero. She did this to herself in some way. I mean, she is a contributor to what happened to her. This was not a trumped up thing. She had pot in her possession in a country that outlaws it. And so you're not supposed to do that sort of thing. Oh, it's a, it is a trumped up thing. I mean, the, she's guilty of the charge. Yeah, but Russian Russia is not a state of laws. Russia doesn't have penal codes that follow statute. Does no, but she you was, know what I mean? Is, I, okay, I, I'm not. I'm this not is an attempt defend. to extort the United States, and she was being used as a tool in that regard. If you're going to Russia in 2022, don't be carrying drugs. Like Russia is not a friendly country to the United States anymore. I think it was hemp oil or something like that. Was that she it? Had. Okay, yeah, it was. Okay, it was. It, um, I th- okay, maybe which was a control. Was, which no, is I, a control. I, I thought it was hash. I thought it was hash. It's it's, oh. it's THC oil that you yeah. use in a vaporizer, as far as I understand it. This is okay. gets beyond hot. my technical expertise. Okay, so it's not expertise. so so okay. so it wasn't marijuana leaves. It, what whatever right. it was, like don't do it. I'm sorry. Like, no, don't, don't do, do it. it. And people, maybe this could be, as we say, a teachable moment. The world is getting less safe. You've got to be like Caesar's wife when you go abroad. Like, things are crazy. Things are happening. And they could, they could, you know, they could pull you off the line and and decide to make a case out of you if you're going somewhere that is in a broigus with the United States. Like, don't be stupid. You know, I mean, this all, is, you know, it. it this will be seen as a victory for Biden. It is a bigger victory for Vladimir Putin. That is that is the reality. Um, right. Well, I mean, again, I mean, the victory for Biden thing is that these things are pretty evanescent. I mean, when when hostages are released and returned home, uh, whatever. I mean, in histor- history would suggest that whatever bounce there is from that sort of thing fades pretty quickly because because you can't not acknowledge that somebody a bad actor in the world got something that he wanted and that you're making a kind of bartering deal that is extremely discomforting so usually it doesn't really have that long a 
a lifespan. And in Israel, for example, no no politician gets credit for 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 the deals. Like they they apologize as they're making them. They apologize for them. I mean, I, I suspect Biden will at least try to have her at the White House. Uh, you know, there'll be all, all sorts of pomp um, surrounding yeah. her. Return. And he should. Trump did the same thing whenever yep. he, right. of course, got. Yeah. Um, and he should. It's a moment to celebrate. Out. Um, but yeah, I, I don't guess know if that... it's a moment of national celebration, a moment of celebration for Brittany Griner's family. I don't know how on earth it's a moment of national celebration just isn't i mean you know it's great really it's it's a private matter she was a private citizen this terrible thing happened to her and and this country is you know uh you know compassionate and serious and 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 decided it needed to do what it had to do to get her home but you know there are people in jails in iran there are people in we know paul whalen we have others like this is not it's I mean, not the Bergdahl swap problem. ended up becoming a liability in the end, right? For Bo Bergdahl, who was who was, um, well, it was a liability because he was a highly questionable person to trade for. Well, it was given I mean, that, we didn't given know that, that given that people knew is that we traded we didn't five, know it five Guantanamo Bay uh, detainees with whom we eventually ended up negotiating <laughs> in Qatar. Um, and that's what it was controversial at the time. Then we didn't understand the degree to which Bo Bergdahl had put himself in the position that he was in deliberately. We didn't. We didn't. But everybody who was in his in his unit did. I mean, right. and, right. you know, so so that, which means that the people who negotiated Bo Bergdahl uh, release knew also. So they knew perfectly well what was going on there. Um and again, it's a tough because what happened was, yeah, he walked off and and you know joined you know in a in a in a in a period of great trauma joined the joined the bad guys and then they their treatment of him was you know gruesome beyond belief. So you know that's where you also get into this question of what do you what do you do? You're just going to leave him there? Even though he was a trade, I you know it's what do you do? Very very hard to know. Um, it's, it's interesting though that um, this comes just uh, what about a week after Biden's comments that he'd be willing to meet with Putin um, over Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if there's a sense that this relationship might be thought. And now Putin has no interest in meeting with Biden, and of course the Ukrainians should have a say in what happens in Ukraine too. But um, does strike me that maybe uh, they're trying to have something of a thaw in relations with Russia, and probably as a result of pressure from our recent visitor uh, Macron of France. You know, so this is an interesting thing. So uh, Biden is, is feeling his oats, right? He midterms went better than he ever had in a right to right to expect. Uh, gas prices um, have leveled off. Uh, you know, the Democratic Party is delighted with him for the first time in a long time. I don't know if it's all delighted with him, but there's a lot more, you know, a lot more satisfaction with him than there was. A happy Biden could be a dangerous Biden. That's the happy Biden who loved hearing that he could be FDR and JFK rolled into one, LBJ all rolled into one, and therefore he spent $6 trillion. So... What do you think, Matt? Like, where does Biden go with this, you know, with this shot of a, you know, shot of uh, of adrenaline and, you know, purpose? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's definitely. And the Senate, by the way, the Senate now 5149 right. means that the filibuster. Now, granted, there's a there's a Republican house. Well, you so just maybe... answered your question. Okay, go ahead. I, okay. mean, I, th I think, I'm sorry. I think okay. that Biden is definitely hemmed in by the fact that the Republicans will be in control of the house of course you know control might not be the best verb to describe the republican rule in the house uh, over the next two years um because uh they're going to kind of i think bounce from deadline to deadline and not have a majority to really pass anything and whoever is speaker of the house uh in january um whether it's kevin mccarthy or, or some compromise candidate um won't have control of the republican conference in the same way that nancy pelosi had control over the Democratic caucus and Pelosi able to leverage 
with one of the smallest democratic majorities in a century, uh, if not the smallest democratic majority in a century into major legislation. I don't think any Republican speaker will be able to do that uh, in these conditions. However, Biden's legislative agenda is effectively over. It's done. Uh, attempts to repeal the filibuster are done for at least the next two years because there's really no point in Democrats trying to repeal the filibuster when they're never going to get any legislation through the through the House. And if they do it now, then you know there's also the chance that Republicans get unified control in two years with no filibuster. And wouldn't that be funny uh, for the Democrats? So I think the legislative agenda is effectively dead, at least the progressive aspects of it. Um, the filibuster reform or abolition is effectively dead. So what does it mean to be uh, a happy Biden? I think what 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 it means is that a happy Biden is a Biden who's more likely to run for re-election than not. And um, we, he already has Trump in the field, okay? Uh, so his argument that, well, I'm the only one who can fight Trump and defeat Trump, uh, that is uh, a relevant argument because Trump is a candidate for the presidency of the United States. Um, and Biden's already moved to rearrange the primary schedule uh, on the Democratic side in a way that would favor him. Um, and he's ramping up the fundraising. So I think that will be the that's the most apparent uh, visible outcome of a energized Biden. But it does carry dangers for the Democratic Party. We just have another survey out today. Biden's approval rating has not budged. He's still 43 percent approval. Uh, people do not approve of joe biden and a lot of that disapproval i think is caught up in their evaluations that he is too old to be president of the united states of america he's not fit to be president of the united states of america on account of his age and he gets older every day as we all do <laughs> so and a happy biden uh who plunges into the 2024 field and is it is more than likely than not i mean to be the democratic nominee um uh, it may not be actually the best thing for the Democratic Party uh, when we're having this conversation two years from now. Uh, let's take a break and hear from our friends at FIRE. Do you know only one in three Americans believes we can fully exercise our free speech rights? That's why FIRE is stepping up to protect freedom of expression for all Americans, no matter where you're from or what you believe. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, or FIRE, Knows free speech makes free people. FIRE will always be a principled, nonpartisan, nonprofit defender of your rights. Join the fight for free speech at www.thefire.org. Now, Biden's efforts at circumventing problems in the Congress take this taking the same form as Obama's and Trump's, right? The executive orders uh his most expansive executive order which was the one of uh, student loan forgiveness has now been you know has been frozen in the courts and the supreme court has agreed to hear it hear the uh, constitutional objections to it on an accelerated schedule um and the question is will he continue to resort to the executive order game simply to just like put markers down or you know try to score points on how he tries to help people because republicans suck which was obama's 2011 gambit when he started in with the you know executive orders one after the other after the other after the other being found unconstitutional by courts and by the supreme court do we is that something to expect oh uh, yeah for sure I mean, yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, there is a moment headed into the election, in my view, that uh, Biden faced a choice. He he had the election gone the way that many conservatives and Republicans expected with a full spec spectrum repudiation of the this past two years, a, a sizable Republican majority in the House, Republican control of the Senate. Uh, Biden would have faced a choice to uh proceed along the path of Barack Obama or to take a lesson from Bill Clinton's presidency and try to triangulate off of um, social conservatism, some of the spending issues that motivates uh, motivated the Republican victory this time and in 1994. Well, because of the fact that 
the election was so disappointing for Republicans, or at least Republicans are very disappointed in the results of the election. Biden doesn't really face that choice. I think he's clearly going to be, uh, you know, more Obama than not. Um, he's not the full Obama, uh, but uh, he definitely will, I think, continue to emphasize his powers. He also, you know, a lot of these executive orders, John, are just gimmies for him. He understands that the courts will knock them down. Right. Um, he even understands that the Supreme Court may knock down the student debt relief program. But, you know, for him, that student debt relief program worked out very well because no matter whether it survives, he was able to campaign on it. And the Democrats were able to campaign on it. And we saw this uh, tremendous Democratic success among young people, I think partly as a result of that. So um, I, I, I see no reason why he would stop um, doing these things. And then and the other as thing to look at is with uh, Schumer now having 51 votes in the Senate, um, they're going to continue to fill as many judicial vacancies uh, as they can. And so, you know, of course, the Supreme Court for now is uh, solidly conservative, but the lower courts, uh, he can continue to shape them in ways that might be more open to his administrative agenda. And who's old on the Supreme Court now? Right. The Republicans. We, we did. We did. Yeah, we didn't expect. We didn't expect Nino Scalia to die, but right. you know, I mean, we. No, that's why I said for now. Yeah. yeah, the Supreme Court can change. I mean, pretty quickly. Cla as Clarence Thomas has been on the court for thirty-one years. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, I mean, Alito's not that old, but I mean, th th these are these are you know, if you're if you're if you want to know whether unexpected stuff could happen could two members of the supreme court take a powder before 2025 yeah could or happen if not the and, supreme court think of the republican house i mean you only have a four seat majority there yeah. so illness death yeah uh probably more likely statistically at least uh, in the house uh that could make uh republicans uh uh lives even more difficult yeah, uh, in the next two years. Right. And also just to get back to the original uh, context here, the Russia and Ukraine, um, a happy Biden has quite a bit of room to do disastrous things in terms of foreign policy, uh, things that he doesn't need uh, Congress for necessarily because he's commander in chief. And and we know he has an itch that, you know, that that, that to do those things. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what he makes of the Abraham Accords ultimately. And we'll see ultimately how he handles uh ukraine and china um and 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 what what sorts of negotiations and 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 uh, iran for that matter uh, we'll see how long the administration holds to its to its current posture yeah an interesting test case is this uh, argument over the pentagon's covid vaccine mandate uh where uh it seems as though uh biden listened to mccarthy at the leadership meeting the other week where mccarthy said look this is a deal breaker for us let's either do it in, in this defense legislation that we're going to finish in december or if you don't do it then i'm going to make it a huge priority in the next congress and it seems from the reporting that it's as of now the repeal of that mandate is in the defense bill uh, but there's there's some uh, pushback now in the democratic senate um and from the biden pentagon which is a you know the, the, the liberals are unfettered in the biden pentagon <laughs> If Biden actually kind of sticks with this and gives McCarthy what he wants, uh, that that would help McCarthy. Uh, I think it would help Biden uh, because it'd be another sort of confidence building measure. Uh, and um, I think it would also help the armed services because I do think that that mandate has uh, hurt uh, recruiting, especially among the um, types of uh, men who young men who are most likely to be our frontline combat troops. I don't know if anybody saw this. Uh, I didn't see it, so I hope I'm not mischaracterizing it. I heard about it, uh, that uh, Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC, went on TV yesterday and or NPR yesterday and said everybody should mask again uh, because uh, winter is coming. Yeah, it was more the reporter said, should everybody mask again? And she said, well, we definitely recommend masking in large yeah. gatherings. Yeah. 
Yeah, at family gatherings, people should mask at their own family gatherings. It's the same thing we've been hearing. You know, if you have 30 people over for Thanksgiving, this, the doctors at the CDC say, put your mask on. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, you know, this is where the happy Bidenism, not just the Biden happy Bidenism, but the happy Democratic Partyism, uh, you know, uh, will pose an interesting uh, set of questions over the next couple of years because uh, they dodged a bullet on election day. And now the question is, do they think they dodged? Why do they think they dodged a bullet? And what kind of license does it give them on secondary policies or matters that the election was not run on? Right. So I think we can say with certainty that the election was run on. Do you want Biden or Trump? to be the dominating figure in American politics? Do you want the crazy or do you want the old guy? Um, And some abortion uh, threats to democracy, all of that. But if the public health world decides that uh, they've been spared the reckoning that they were afraid of, although God knows what the House might do in terms of investigating what went on with COVID. But nonetheless, if they think that they that they dodged a bullet are they gonna feel their oats and 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 you know look at the winter and then say oh no china there's such low immunity in china and now covid's gonna race through china and we better mask up because of china and you know then you have health officials like barbara ferrer in la and all that saying we're gonna mandate masking and all you know Maybe they get away with it. Maybe it's fine. Maybe, you know, maybe they're feeling their oats properly. Um, I just don't think they need the populist blowback that this is going to stimulate. Because it's not why they it's not why they they were spared the giant reckoning. Oh, for right? sure. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and um, but, you know, I would get worried about that, uh, the masking and everything. Um if it rises to the level of Biden making statements like that, um, you know, the CDC, uh, they, if, if you actually followed all of their guidance on every public health yeah. matter, we would be walking around in the bubble, you know, in the, in, in we individual bubbles or in the hazmat suits all the time. So, you know, the CDC says these things, most Americans don't follow them. And yeah. when you do rise to the level of the president saying, we need to follow the CDC, that's when major things happen. And of course the first president, in the COVID era to say that we need to follow CDC was Donald Trump. You yeah. know? So we had that beginning in 2020 and continuing really through last, um, well, I guess earlier this year and Biden is on record saying the pandemic is over, but, but we, you know, it, it just as we had flu season and we're in a bad flu season. Now we have, we're going to have COVID season for the rest of our lives. And we're getting into COVID season it happens to overlap with flu season. Um, and on top of that, as a result of the lockdowns uh, of the past two years and the fact of school closures and such, we also have this RSV that's circulating yep. uh, rapidly throughout communities. So it, it's going to be a bad winter. I don't think anyone should uh, think otherwise. The question is, have we learned our lessons from the last two years, which is that really, even though it's, these things are bad, we need to get on with our lives. And, and we can't. Comfort. Uh, yeah. Take some comfort from the fact that the CDC's um, uh, officials are all still working from home. So it's going to be difficult for them to coordinate uh, while <laughs> right. they're all still in their bunkers. Right. I am. Um, my my sort of uh, sense of things is that the population has now uh, bifurcated, although I think the much larger part of the population is not even bifurcation, that there are people who are now permanently masking. Uh, and obviously I live in New York and so uh, there are probably more of them here than 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 elsewhere but I was in Cleveland uh last weekend I've been you know been going to play there is a population that has adopted the mask uh in public in public places and what's interesting is you don't know who they are like are they quadruply like our our cliche would say these are people who are quadruply vaccinated but they're still putting on the mask but i i don't know based on based on what i see on let's say the new york city subways which granted on the one hand aren't representative 
But on the other hand, you're talking about something that millions of people use a day. So it's more representative than, you know, an airport. Um, I would say it looks to me like a lot of people who probably aren't vaccinated are masking that, that this you know, is there. They take it serious. They don't want to get the vaccine because they think the vaccine is going to make them sick, but they're worried about COVID. And it, so that's a different, no one has factored those people in to this conversation about, you know, sort of like the social divide between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. I think there's a deceptive uh, factor in this, which is that, you know, who else wears masks? People with COVID. Um, I think it's gotten uh-huh. to the point where people now they most people do not expect to die or be in the hospital when they get it. But they say, well, I got to go out and buy groceries. I gotta, I'll put on my mask. Right. Um, so I think often when we I don't know. Often. So that's good citizenship. Sure, exactly. Right. Yes. I mean, you know, so. Right. So I think we are in a much more complicated and layered world than than we were a couple of years ago. Uh, by the way, and, just yeah. one more layer here, which is that. I also think most of the American population at this point will never get another COVID vaccine. Right. Well, that seems very clear, right? Unless. Or they're going to wait another year. I think some people view it again. If COVID is the new flu or kind of will now live concurrently with the flu, you get a flu shot every year. Sometimes the flu shots don't work. They're not mm-hmm. working this year. No, half the time they don't. Right, like, exactly. They so that's you. the same idea of the COVID yeah. shot. I mean, yep. all right, I'll get it next year. But this yeah. kind of this kind of boosting every three months, most Americans clearly think is absolutely crazy and they're, they're never going to do it. Right. You know, and 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 I, it wasn't the case for me, but, you know, it can knock people out for a day. Right. So, you know, and they and they and and there's now enough anecdotal evidence that you'll get it. Whether well, you're I, I think they're not. right. I, yeah. Right. I, yeah. Totally. Like, yeah. I'm with I'm you with know. them. Yeah. Yeah. It, the question is, is it left to individual behavior, which is kind of what like, Abe is talking yeah. about? You know, right. a lot of people, I have it. I got to go do something, though. So I'm going to wear a mask or other people say, yeah, you know, I, I'm going to ride the subway and cases are rising. I'm going to put on a mask. That, that, yeah. Leave it to individual behavior. I think that's the big lesson from our experience, the nightmare right. of 2020. We have to leave it to individual behavior, have the vaccines available. Otherwise, we just need to get on with our lives. I think that the White House and knows that or that the message seems to be around that. But if they get captured by the public health bureaucracy, as you're suggesting, John, um, oh, yeah, total, total blowback uh, will happen in the next year. Oh, they know it. I mean, yeah, no, Biden, and it, Biden has been chomping at the bit to end COVID since right, July so. of 2021. Like he right. he doesn't want to be in this position. And he understands, you know, or Ron Klain understands, whoever understands that this is in every shape and form bad not only is it bad serves but you know it's bad for the economy it's bad for kids for it's bad for every right so um speaking of which if we want to spend a moment talking about about the economy uh none of us is an economist but um uh the the we are now seeing you know like signs that if you if you assume that the economy it follows the same rules that it has followed for the last 80 or 90 years that a recession is inevitable because the 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 yield curve has inverted so i'm not going to i'm not going to talk about what that is cuz i'll get it wrong even though i sort of understand what it is but i won't have the words to use it and i don't need to get crap from david bonson and other people about misstating my misstating what i'm saying but um the yield curve is inverted uh, every major bank, every major forecaster says 2023 will see a recession. Uh, 2022 saw a recession that we that magically Biden and the liberal media managed to frame as not a recession. We had two straight quarters of negative economic growth, though I have to say, like, it wasn't terrible negative economic growth, it was just under zero. Um, but I mean, they're talking about like a really serious and substantial recession. And, you know, that's where things, if inflation remains high and we go into recession at the same time, and Biden is in the low 40s now, is it a lead pipe cinch that he that he runs in such a calamitous atmosphere? I, I, I don't know. Like, you know, 
that's not a good place to be. You've been pre- you have no you have no excuse. Like you can't say it was Trump. You can't say it was the Republicans. You got nothing. You got nothing to go on. Yeah, I mean the other thing uh, to think about there is if in six months uh, Trump uh, is not taken off, if he's been un- unable to solidify, um, uh, his, stabilize his political situation. Um, I think that the many some Democrats will think that the argument for Biden 2024 isn't as strong because they're not going to face Trump. They might face somebody else. Uh, again, this is an unknown. I mean, with the recession, it seems to me Biden is always, you know, he's very cynical in his politics. He's not afraid of uh, of kind of low blows in, in an old political sense. And so I was thinking the other day about the Inflation Reduction Act, right? It's a terrible piece of legislation. Everyone uh, on this podcast and elsewhere, we mock the name. Every study shows uh, it has no; it will have no effect on inflation. Yet, if Biden is running for re-election in 2024 and the inflation rate is lower than it was when they passed that bill earlier this year, Every single ad, every single speech will say, we passed the Inflation Reduction Act and inflation is now lower than it's ever been. That's how his mind thinks, right? It's the same with the student debt relief. He doesn't actually care whether, well, he probably wants, you know, God knows some people who uh, were very irresponsible in taking out student loans. He probably thinks that they shouldn't pay the consequences of their actions. But but it's more like, I've done my best to break, to re- get, action for the people who need it the most so that type of cynicism i think has helped him uh and so that's all he needs all he needs is for the inflation rate to be lower than it was when he passed this legislation all he needs is for the recession to be slightly shallower and um a briefer than most of wall streeters is expecting uh and he will proclaim victory and 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 talk about all the great good he's done for the economy. Well, there's a direct relationship between a recession and inflation reduction. If if inflation does decline dramatically, it will be due in large part to the hardship imposed on Americans during a recession that reduces their capacity to uh, to demand to to buy things. The high cure for high prices is high prices. So how are you? I mean, can Republicans a make that message? in as succinct terms as they need to say, like the reason why inflation is going down is because you can't buy anything. And B, will will Biden be able to take advantage of a recession? <laughs> it's it's hard to imagine. Well, I suppose I just, in, the, in the cynical terms that you lay out, sure, you can make that attempt. Yeah. I mean, I will say really that- land, stick the landing. I will say inflation is off peak. I mean, inflation is already lower. You know, I mean, it's, we get all these annualized figures, so it's, it is well, high, but it's, it's off the- highest figure which was earlier this year and these gas prices as you've said i mean the collapse yeah. in the oil price is amazing yeah. I, and no one was expecting that so yeah i mean it's it, obviously, a lot of this is an anticipation of it's the recession. you're right we just well, don't we don't yeah. know we don't know how big the fed is going to increase into uh neck yeah. in their next meeting um we just don't know but i do think all he needs and I remember this in in 2012, because remember 2012, Romney's entire campaign was premised on the fact that the economy was stagnant. The recovery was not achieving yeah. its aims. But all Obama did was, look, everything's going in the right direction. That's all that matters. Employment's lower now than when I than the peak in 2009. We're on our way. And what again, the most cynical Biden line was, you know, Obama, uh, bin Laden is dead and GM is alive. Right. And yeah. they wrote that to re-election. I can see very easily the same sort of scenario playing out. It's, over these it's next a total years. layup. I mean, um, uh, Biden's line that, hey, we were facing inflation. I passed the Inflation Reduction Act yeah. and inflation. is re- That is the easier story to understand. Any Listen, case you know, that, that the Republicans have to make against that is, is more complicated. It's truer. Doesn't matter. No one ever said that Orwellian argumentation doesn't work. You know, I mean, somehow we've gotten to the point where we say, well, that's Orwellian. Oh, no, that's Orwellian. Right. I know. I think Orwellian we need to remind isn't... ourselves that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, and, you know, the other thing, of course, is now we got to talk about the crisis among among the Republicans, because, yeah, Republicans are going to have to make arguments and all this. Right. Republicans had an unbelievable 
atmosphere in which to run in 2022 and they crapped the bed. And why did they crap the bed? Because they were crazy is why they crapped the bed. And it turns out that that is a fantastic uh, counterweight to actual horrible policies and the effect that they're having on people. Notwithstanding the fact that people's purchasing power declined, country was humiliated in Afghanistan, you know, uh, gas prices were up, people were, you know, like getting new jobs and seeing whatever it was that they, whatever salary increase they had eaten away and all of that, you know, five words from J.R. Majewski and congratulations, the Democrats survive and don't face a tsunami. And if people don't think that that couldn't happen again, yeah, it can happen again. It can happen again and again and again because it's true. They are crazy. They went crazy or they were pusillanimous about facing down the crazy. And so we're just going to have to see whether, you know, the Republican Party writ large is in a position to do something about the very thing that will deny them, not just Trump, by the way, because Trump can pass from the scene maybe but that you know that doesn't mean that i just read yesterday this uh, tweet storm somebody who was covering the michigan state senate and the outgoing michigan state senate republican chairman of the michigan state senate which of course flipped to the democrats uh, for the first time in no how long is it 40 years some insane right 30 years 40 years i can't remember i certainly that, don't know we were talking about it last week. That's why I was sort of wondering. Like it was one of those. Uh, I don't. Yeah, it's one of those things recall. that not since Decades. 1994, 1984, or something have have they not been in charge of of this body? And the and the the speaker, whoever it is, the president of the of the state senate, starts going in on how um, you know uh, the people at Davos at the World Economic Forum colluded with China to engineer COVID. This is the head of the Michigan, the Republicans in the Michigan State Senate. That's what is Michigan, like the 10th largest state in America or the 8th largest state in America. That's really great. Like, he's not just, no, he's not Carrie Lake. He's not somebody who lost an election. He's not Kelly Ward. He's like actually like a, a line official in some way, uh, you know, in American politics. And that can happen anywhere. Carrie Lake, you know, as I said, Trump can pass the scene and Carrie Lake 2.0 can emerge somewhere or, you know, uh, I've already blocked on his name, the, the lunatic Pennsylvania gubernatorial candidate. Mastriano can emerge or people can run in 2024 still talking about election machines. And, you know, yeah. we could be we could be fate. We could be in a nuclear winter. <laughs> And Democrats will win. Well, it's interesting that this quote that uh, Newt Gingrich provided, I, I think it was the New York Times today. It was mentioned in one of the newsletters I read, one of the 12 newsletters Thomas I Edsel, read. I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what Gingrich said, I one, Gingrich has told uh, Steve Kornacki on a very interesting interview on the on the uh, Revolution podcast, not quite as interesting as the interview with John Podhoritz, I might say, on that on that same co podcast, but also Aww. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Apparently, your interview, John, is what triggered Newt into wanting to be on the podcast. Oh, because I said that well, he, he didn't a... mention you specifically, but he was okay. like, "Yeah, the everything, but that journalist roundtable was great." <laughs> so anyway, he he told he told Kornacki that he's been more confused. He is more confused now about American politics than he's than in the last forty years. And then he today, whether it's Edsel or to the Washington Post or something, he said he now can he can now contemplate a 1964 situation in which the Republican craziness does not abate. And whether it's Trump or not or some other semi Trump or something, but uh, that leading to a, just a devastating blow against Republicans in 2024 now. Look, I mean, that's I read that and I said, yeah, that's definitely possible. Of course, that's what a lot of us were thinking would happen in 2016. And the exact opposite happened. Right. We had the Republicans ended up with unified control of government with Donald Trump as president. But I do think that's an acknowledgement from not only a very important figure in the history of the conservative movement in the GOP, but someone who, you know, aligned himself with Trump in many ways and in other ways 
whose 2012 campaign, I'm talking about Newt here, actually kind of anticipated a lot of Trumpiness um, uh, in his attacks on the media and, and his populism. Um, he's now saying, wow, Republicans need a change of direction or else they really will be flirting with um, uh, uh, a long, long time in the wilderness. Um, remember Newt, uh, Newt was a congressman from Georgia and his district is now solid blue. <laughs> his district, I think it's like most of it went 20 points for, for Warnock, uh, on Tuesday night. So, you know, things change and the world changes. Um, and I just think it's interesting because I, you know, there just the, there's something in me that's a rise says, gee, thanks a lot. Now, you know, maybe it would have helped if you had said this on January 7th, 2021, you know, but you know, you're such a suck up. You decided to be such a suck up to him that you, that you, you, you couldn't, you couldn't do it. You couldn't be helpful. Now you're like crying and rending your garments. Um, I was thinking about this because I, I I just finished a piece that's uh, going to be uh, in the the lead of the January commentary about uh, about Mitch McConnell's impossible hand. So here's Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, had a very favorable situation to face, and now will not be Senate Majority Leader probably ever again. I mean, maybe they'll win the Senate back in 2024, but he'll be 82 and a half years old. And I think Pelosi has kind of established the precedent that you can't expect to be leader of, you know, of one of the two houses of Congress, you know, into your 80s. It's it's or you know, and, and making Steny Hoyer quit and all of that. So I don't know if McConnell can can hang on. Um, but, uh, you know, this is what he wanted. He wanted to be the longest serving person in the whatever, and he's not going to get it. And. This goes back to this question of he made a decision, a series of decisions in 2021 and 2022 that he needed to hold the Republican coalition together. He did not want to be held responsible for creating a civil war by going after Trump and his choices. He said oblique things. and that, But when Trump insisted on Herschel Walker in October of 2021, he said an amazing thing. He said, you know, I he endorsed Walker. And then he said something like, Herschel will win us the Senate. I need to look it up. Hold on. Um, here we go. Herschel is the only one who can unite the party, defeat Senator Warnock, and help us take back the Senate, McConnell said. So the only person who united the party in, in, in Georgia was Brian Kemp, Trump's enemy, who won 54% of the vote. On the night that Walker came in a point behind Warnock, though they had to go to runoff because Warnock didn't get to 50%. And uh, he didn't defeat Senator Warnock, not on election night and not in the runoff. And he it wasn't really his place to help them take back the Senate because they'd already lost the Senate by the time the runoff came around. But, um, you know, McConnell made a call and he made the wrong call. Maybe you can look at it and say if he'd made the other call, things would have been worse and the party would have been, you know, at war with each other. But from the moment that he decided that he wanted to leave Trump to heaven, right? He wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna vote for his conviction, wasn't gonna really come out against his choices to the extent that he really could. And I think he's reaping the whirlwind. Like his personal ambition has now been stymied. Like he is, you know, he has been left left aside by history. Matt, you look a little skeptical. Well, I do think there's a chance uh, that um, if they do win the Senate, the Republicans in 2024, I don't know whether Mitch McConnell will behave by Nancy Pelosi's standard. I do think that he would say, I'll be the majority leader for the final two years of my term because he's he's next up in 2026 and then I'll retire in 2026. I can see that happening. Um I agree that McConnell made a, a couple of decisions last year uh, that did not um, pan out. One is, as you mentioned, not trying to fight the Trump picks in the Senate races. Another is, you know, it's interesting. Um, and uh, McConnell prevented by the con by the Senate conference opposing uh, a bipartisan inquiry into January 6th. 
Mm-hmm. And that the Senate filibuster of that initial bill is what led to the House deciding that they were going to run it internally, which led to the whole dust up between McCarthy and Pelosi when you know McCarthy nominated some of the people who had challenged the election to serve on the committee and just been, been a huge mess. I, you know, it is worth wondering had had McConnell somehow been able to get an actual bipartisan inquiry or commission, an outside commission into January 6th, things may have played out differently. It's hard to disentangle January the January 6th committee's actual influence in the midterm result. Um, but it is clear, I think, that um, those hearings, especially the early ones, drew massive audiences and the idea that the Republican Party was composed of people who uh, threatened the peaceful transfer of power and who believed in conspiracy theories um, hurt hurt the GOP. So that, that's how I would just point to that. I, as I, I was uh, doing some writing in my own uh, earlier uh, or in November and had to really reacquaint myself with the history of the of the January 6th committee. And that was an interesting inflection point when the Senate decided to the Senate Republicans decided to filibuster the original proposal for for a commission. I mean, that's a very interesting point. And um, yesterday we had this whole sort of jokey conversation about um, about Darth Vader, you know, about Obi-Wan Kenobi saying, if you strike me down, I shall be more powerful than you could ever imagine. And this Republican, this Trumpian delusion that all of these moves made on him over the last two years as a result of January 6th were only going to make him stronger because he would become a a martyr and a victim. And that's, I I mean, I guess they can continue to fantasize that that is the case. But clearly January 6th hurt him. Clearly Mar-a-Lago, the Mar-a-Lago search hurt him. Clearly, the results of the election have made it more likely rather than less that yeah. he will be indicted well, by the or, justice. Or Department. the fact that he was, he you know, he flirted publicly with announcing his candidacy for president on the day before the election. Yeah. And I, I can imagine some people who were, you know, were late deciders or whatever and who were in-person voters. So I guess this is a smaller and smaller category, but... Uh, people saying, oh, my God, you know, I'm not going to vote for Republicans yeah. if, if he's not going to announce again. And and yeah. then, of course, we, the, other, the last thing that I would mention, just since we're kind of doing an autopsy of our own before we go. But um, I think the Paul Pelosi attack hurt Republicans as well, uh, because it came again in the late uh, late part of the cycle. Um, obviously, I don't think that there was any political agenda at work here in the sense that we understand politics. I think it's unfair to blame Republicans for for that. However, again, just as the same way that most people hear Inflation Reduction Act in 2024, and if inflation is any lower than it is today, they'll say, you know what, Biden is doing a great job. People see this political violence. They see the fact that it was the, the target of the violence was married to the Speaker of the House. Um, and I think there is just, you know, we have we're going to uh, we're going too close to the abyss and we have to pull back. And some very similar thing happened with, remember, um, Cesar, the uh, mail bomber in, in 2018. Cesar Yanok, yeah. Yes, the attack and the attack on um, the Tree of Life Synagogue in 2018. All of that, ha- all of that uh, I think, contributes to an atmosphere in which most independent voters, or continue to be the swing voters, Say they are not ready to embrace the Republican Party uh, in this in this type of uh, climate of um, of polarization and fear and and um, and conspiracy theory. Um, one of the things that will suggest that the Republican fever in relation to Trump has broken will be a cessation of this idea that. Uh, being the subject of this relentless series of investigations is a good thing. This is a very strange... Now, Trump doesn't act like it's a good thing, really. I mean, he he tries to weaponize it in reverse. But, you know, Trump organization guilty of tax fraud. Um, I think you'd put it right now at 60 40 that the justice department will indict him for the mishandling of classified information 
Uh, they just went, did a search, found another two documents somewhere else. So that means what they can establish there. And that's why this is important, though, because I think a lot of people on the right are going to say, what? So they, so they found one document, two documents at Bedminster. Who cares? It's like, no, that would suggest that there was a pattern that he was secreting documents in multiple locations. That is, a, that is, that would be an object lesson in uh, or like a like a pattern that creates a pattern that is convictable uh, in a court of convictable is not really. So will the House Republicans follow through on their promise to investigate the Justice Department over the Mar-a-Lago raid? Jim Jordan, incoming chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, said the number one thing is this weaponization of the DOJ against the American people. Kevin McCarthy told Merrick Garland remotely, preserve your documents and clear your calendar. They're going to back off that. Will Republican well, voters let them? Well, it could be it could be that they're going to focus more on the the laptop and Twitter and Russia. That, that's an interesting question. Yeah. I think it's like, are they going to when they investigate the Department of Justice and the FBI, which they are almost certain, you know that that is number. They will one. do. Yeah, yeah, they will do. What are they going to focus on? Is it going to be this broader? Which again, and even from my point of view, is kind of insidious relationship between the FBI, the Democratic Party, and the major media and tech platforms. Are they going to focus on that, or are they going to zero in on you know FBI harassment of Donald Trump? I mean, we don't know. Um, and either possibility uh, could 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 happen. I will say it is yeah. interesting though. Um, not many House members have endorsed Trump's reelection bid. Right. Hardly any. I mean, I you know. Elise Stefanik is the only one that came to I think, and maybe one or two others. That itself is a data point that that I, yeah. bears consideration. But no, I think you raise a very interesting. This is a very interesting question because, um, they if they they want to torment, you know, uh, Christopher Ray and Garland with hearings, they'll they'll do it. I mean, that's part of the thing that you do in partisan terms when you take control of Congress with a hostile when you're hostile to the president is you try to tie his people up and, you know, like distract them and annoy them and antagonize and, you know, make hay out of it. Um, oddly enough, if they were smart, they would take, they would actually take a lesson from the behavior of the January 6th committee. What did the January 6th committee do? It tried to establish a narrative through line of Trump's malfeasance. If, there is, we've been publishing article after article by Eli Lake on the FBI and the Justice Department's misbehavior from 2016 onward. There is a narrative that can be laid out and can be separated into different stories, right? How, wh what the relationship was with Christopher Steele and the dossier and Crossfire Hurricane and all of that. That's one. Second is, what was this question of the relationship between them and the social media companies, particularly in the last months of the election in 2020? And then the third is their own efforts to stymie investigations into themselves, right? The, 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 uh, to uh, lie, to have senior officials lie to the IG, uh, Kevin Kleinsmith and others, uh, you know, misstatements of fact that led to the firings of Peter Strzok and others and laying all of that out systematically in well-designed hearings in which it, different people take a different through line and lead the conversation. Well, classically, that's not what they do. What they do is everybody stands up and yells and screams and sounds like a moron. And Jim Jordan stands stands without his, you know, with his with his short sleeve shirt, without the tie, and like sits there and is just obnoxious and horrible. And congratulations, that's really going to be an effective way to deal with what is actually an important policy matter, which but is FBI thing, reform. As with so many other issues, um, <laughs> Trump hurts the case. You know, uh, it's it, he makes it very hard or a lot harder to tease out the genuine concern about the justice department and approaching something like FBI reform hard, hard to tease that apart from his deep state fantasies and, and his cause. Right. And that I think is the ultimate, that's where the also a sign that the fever will break. Like there are going to be these moments where you can see what, where, where the party, even if it does not want to take on Trump head on, 
will try to move past Trump because they won't want to make it the focus of this conversation. It would be stupid to do so. It would be counterproductive. Um, and what they what they what they have a they have a really important story to tell that you know could really be told quite brilliantly if it's done right. Um, and you know they will have to restrain themselves to do it. And, you know, I don't hold that much hope for that. But you never know. Life is long. Things happen. Matt Continetti, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, speculative podcast. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be back tomorrow with Christine. So for Abe and Noah and the absent Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning. <laughs>